0: Welcome to Radical Strategies, Misha, otherwise known as Mad Dog Jones. Where did that name come from anyway? I'm curious about that.
1: Uh, The name is actually like an old, um, some people like say it's a gamer tag, but I I don't even think we were using the terms gamer tag when I first came up with it. Ah. It was more like um, what I would try to fit into like a Nintendo 64 game name. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just the name I tried to use and I couldn't always get all the letters in even. And I don't know, my initials are MD. So I think that's like the mad dog kind of comes from the MD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the Jones is just out of the ether. So yeah, yeah. it's just, a have had it since I was like, probably like 11 or 12 years old. Oh, okay. It's kind that's of cool. like a back burner thing, but I never started using it professionally until um, 2017. Oh yeah. I'm
0: actually the same. My in- Instagram handle is RevSec and I've been using that for Decades, it was my modding name when I saw mod racing games. But okay, so today we've kind of got two parts to this conversation. So, first off, we're going to explore um, creating your artistic vision, right? How do you build a, an ownable style? And how do you, what was your journey in getting to the place where the, the visuals that you're outputting had your signature look and feel to it? Um, So I want to step through that process, um, all going back into your influences and everything that inspired you and what it took to finally reach a place where the visual template for your work was first set. So we'll we'll get into that. And then um, obviously, it seems like things are going rather well for you in this NFT business. Uh, So I'm curious about how that started and how you went about it from the first time that you heard the word NFT Um, and how things have gone for you, but let's get started. Um, at the beginning, um, I'm
1: curious just to hear about your story. Yeah, for sure. So I guess like the beginning would be growing up in a very artistic household. My, um, my mother and father ran a stained glass studio, um, when I was a kid growing up. So Mm -hmm. it was always kind of a family centered around art, um, for my whole upbringing, my mom's also like, uh, writes poetry and short stories mm. and my dad plays a uh, mandolin and he's like a brilliant musician as well. So that was kind of always at the center of our house and kind of our like family livelihood. And so kind of growing up around the stained glass, it was always kind of this like interplay of color and light and like definition and, um, really taking your time to perfect your craft and really making something that like, you know, it's piece by piece and it doesn't come together right away and it really takes like a lot of passion and dedication. But if you put in that time, you come out with this like crazy product and that always kind of, I think um, set in with my kind of disposition around creating art and creating intricate art and really putting in time to make a piece really pop. So yeah, I guess like the the family business was the the big thing at the start. So as I grew up, I was really into music. I got really into like turntablism and DJing and like scratching and all that kind of stuff. And so music and visual art were always kind of like happening at the same time for me. I think a lot of like um young people gravitate towards music just because it's like so Tactile and real, and doesn't require quite as much patience necessarily mm-hmm. as as visual art can. So that was really kind of like my genesis into the art world was the turntablism and the music. But then, and, and were I, you gaining access to this world
0: uh, living in Thunder Bay? Are you still in no, Thunder Bay at this this phase, or have you gone somewhere else?
1: Yeah, so I'm still in Thunder Bay, and yeah. um. Yeah, like kind of like I was like the one kid that had like turntables in my high school, you know, mm-hmm. and like I was like ordering in like Stanton Straight Eighties from Toronto and trying to find like needles and busting my dad's record needles and melting my dad's favorite records in the sun because <laughs> my turntable wasn't as well placed in re- <laughs> in relation to the window. Yeah, and you know it was it was a lot of like um, and there wasn't really even like a really strong internet culture. This would have been right around 2000 when I was doing all this stuff. So, you know, it was like really kind of just like listening to old, old like Mixmaster Mike and Qbert records and finding VHS copies of a track at the DMC competitions and just trying to like find some culture in a small town. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't easy, but like, it still felt like you could find stuff if you really dug and then you slowly build a community in these smaller towns and thunder bay is like a big enough city that there is like these kind of pockets of like you know art nerds and you know different music nerds and all that kind of stuff Mm. so we really kind of stick together here and and make cool stuff happen
0: and then were there some other cultural influences I, i read that you were um inspired by asian culture and and the feeling of those cities and environments
1: yeah well at the same token like growing up you know we would get like drip fed anime here like you'd get Mm -hmm. these like random pieces of of art and as a kid um my brother was seven years older than me so he showed me akira when i was probably like six or seven years old like way too young to be watching it and <laughs> awesome. I know it's like it's like the most cliche piece of art to be inspired by yeah but it would just be a total lie if I didn't say that that wasn't like maybe the most core piece of art that I've ever seen or interacted with or been influenced by yeah and and That's you see amazing. its ripples through everything you know and you know from the soundtrack. To the mangas it was just really this like crazy piece of my life and it was always like the thing that like it was like the mecca of design for me like it just had all the elements of cool futurism hard lines hard colors um, every frame is, is composed so well and I really find myself drawn to composition the other really formative thing when I was young was um, we had a film festival come through town the year that um, Princess Mononoke was released. And I got mm. to see it as a little kid in a theater and it just blew my mind. Yeah. And wow. kind of from that point on, I was just like sucked into the, the world of like, um, more like the kind of fine art anime side of things. Mm. And then it was always just kind of like, trying to find whatever drip feed I could get of these Japanese aesthetics. And until um, I guess 2018 when I got to go to Japan and then a bunch of trips subsequently since then where a lot of the like base photography and inspiration for my work comes from. So that was like, kind of like it was kind of like waiting for it to happen my whole life and then finally getting to go there and, kind of immerse myself in all these influences was, was really amazing.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, interestingly, I was in art school, um, in Toronto when Acura came out and, uh, Arleson from acronym, he was uh, going to school in Ryerson and we watched that film together for the first time. Uh, sitting in my college and our brains melted. And I don't think anything has been the same ever since. Yeah. That that wow, was also a amazing. shocking moment for us as well. Um, that we should probably this jacket I'm wearing, right. It's part of the new collection. It's probably directly <laughs> linked to that moment in time. Yeah, it, yeah. It's
1: it's really like, it's one of those things where like, it'd be so cool if you could like remove it from the collective consciousness and see all the downstream stuff that would then be missing because like, there's so much stuff. <laughs> yeah. that, like, even like, like there was like a Beck album cover that I was like, even that feels like it comes from there, you know, like yeah. all these things. Yeah. that it's not even like, it's so indirect, but like, feels like it's like part of it. Those key, like, I, I love just thinking about these, these singular pieces of art that like, their their influence outweighs their, like the work that were put into it. Not to say that there wasn't a massive am- amount of work mm. put into something like Akira, but the downstream effects of it are like millionfold. Why don't you talk us
0: through how you developed your visual aesthetic and from the moments of the first time that you started creating visual pieces to the moment where the, all the core elements of the template that you're, you're now known for came together.
1: Yeah. So I guess I like first got a, a tablet when I was just working on making like show posters for DJing. And like some of my friends would try to get me to like do some like album art for them and stuff. And I really just kind of like was like, okay, tablet, like this is interesting. Like I can make a line and then erase it. And before that I was like making, like, I was like hand drawing graffiti and in pencil and then outlining it in black ink and trying to erase all the little pencil lines and scanning it into Photoshop and trying to like do a bunch of like effects to try to get those lines to be as clean as they possibly could be. Mm-hmm. And then when the tablet came out, I was like, okay, I can sketch my graffiti and then bring it onto my computer and then draw with the tablet on the screen. And then the next big jump was the iPad for me. And the iPad was when everything kind of changed and um, Procreate in particular, because when I was working on a tablet and then like looking up at the screen, Hmm. I found that there was like a really big gap there in how my like like subconscious could translate into it because like you're not, your eyes aren't looking at your hands. And then as soon as I got an iPad with Procreate and I was like actually drawing the pen where the screen was, that was like a big gap, a big jump rather in my productivity was a big part of it. And just kind of like the, the speed that I could download my ideas into reality and the scope of what I could create. I remember, like, I started by kind of just, like, like, taking pictures of, like, random objects, like a donut and a shoe, then kind of making these collages, and then, like, illustrating those, and being like, okay, that's cool. And then I remember the first time, I was like, could I illustrate, like, an entire scene, like, background and buildings and everything? When you look at, like, these really complex art pieces, they feel so daunting to get done, But then if you just kind of like do like one little bit at a time before you know it, you've created it Hmm. and then another week goes by and you've created more and more. And it's like, sometimes I like to look at other artists and see what they can output. Like somebody like Alex gray, where he's actually like acrylic painting these absolutely insane, monumental, psychedelic masterpieces. And there's, it's just really inspiring how much people can output. And how if you really streamline your craft, you can really create these, like, really, really cool masterpieces. Now, in terms of my style, I think the first thing that I, like, kind of figured out was I needed to find a black line width that was, like, my kind of signature pen. Mm. Because I don't really use color fades or, like, brush tips in any of my work. It's all just a single width black line outline and then every every section is color filled. Um, so the black line width that you use kind of denotes the level of detail you put into a piece because you can't have your black line be like too close to itself or it doesn't make any sense. So finding that exact width of the pen was kind of like that was kind of the first experiment where I would like, you know, is this too big? Is this too small for my canvas and all this? So just kind of finding that, that moment and kind of like when I'm, when I'm picking a color and when I'm picking a space, like how detailed do you go
0: Hmm.
1: with your, with your details like that, that finding that sweet spot of, does this look too photorealistic or does this look too cartoony And just kind of finding that little zone. And there's also something that I think is really kind of stylistically a signature of my work. And it's like how to like fill in a big space of a fade of color without just doing like kind of like boring flat lines and finding these cool shapes within those spaces. So when you look deeper into my illustrations, there's smaller micro compositions building up for the macro composition. Mm. And I think that was a big part of me finding my style was finding exactly how to make these abstract color shapes within the pieces that feel like their own compositions, how to find that line width and how to find that sweet spot for me between realism and Um, cartoon. I'd say it was about a year until I kind of like mostly locked in my width and my styling. And then the color palette part is like just ever evolving and the themes and the artwork is ever evolving too. And that kind of just like the the themes and ideas just kind of change with my mood. Sometimes I'm like, really ethereal Mm. sometimes i'm more like grimy and like more kind of really based in like the world and so you know it it really depends on my mood for some of that stuff so you previously pursued a career making
0: music and um and it seems like you had some success there for a while if you want to use those words maybe you don't want to use those words i'm curious where you are at now where you're Digital artists are making visuals and that's what you're known for these days. When you look back on this other time period that you had doing music, how you view that? Do you view that as like a dead end or do you view it as something that was a great learning experience? Um, The reason that I ask this is because I'm curious about when people take steps and those steps are not necessarily going to lead them to the end fruition of their what they're trying to do as a creative, but it can lead to something. So, um, I'm curious what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah, um, I absolutely think it's super valuable and was a really like interesting learning experience and kind of fun creative period of my life. Um, ultimately, I think being a touring musician is a really really draining and. Just it's just not for me ultimately. Mm. After touring, I found out that it wasn't really something that I I, I I didn't fall in love with with touring. And touring actually kind of made me fall out of love with music in a lot of ways. And what I really love is, you know, the bedroom producer. I love just creating a beat for myself or writing a song with a friend and dropping it on SoundCloud and getting excited about it. Not to say there weren't highs from performing. I I do love performing, but ultimately I'm addicted to the creative process and I love making art in any way and being in the music industry kind of like we had, we had a fair amount of success and, you know, you kind of ride it up and then you kind of learn a lot on your way Mm -hmm. and that those kind of, like, professional lessons, like, really, really informed me moving into the visual art world with just kind of, like, okay, like, I'm a formed artist and, like, I'm not, like, I'm not seeing stars right away. I'm, like, the highs aren't as high and the lows aren't nearly as low. So it really kind of gave me, like, a a stronger, um, base to build my art off of and not to mention like just cool connections in, in the music world and the art world and i was lucky enough to be able to set up a really awesome management team through my music career which i'm still using today um which i just i have to give them so much credit for so much of my success it's i i don't do what i do alone Mm. i I do it with a really amazing team of of people that that helped me along the way so yeah like Music, music, my visual art and my music career are are inextricable. So let's switch gears here.
0: And uh, I want to talk about the subject of NFTs. Um, And I know it's something that it seems everyone and their dog can't stop talking about. I hear all sorts of different things said. A lot of people really don't seem to understand what this is about. Um, But it's pretty interesting how much uh, this is a conversation point and 2021, 2022, and what I'd like to explore with you are the beginnings of you starting to utilize this technology and when you first heard about it and how you first started to get involved. Um, I'd love to hear that story.
1: Yeah, so I was lucky enough to have a friend um, send send me a DM around early summer 2020 to Super Rare. Um, and he just sent me a link and he was like dude like check this out this is really interesting I think you might like it and at the time the most any art was selling for on super rare was like three or four hundred bucks equivalent with mm-hmm. ETH or whatever and I remember looking at it and I sent it to my manager and I was like hey like let's just keep an eye on this like this this seems intriguing to me because my art is made digitally And it kind of is Made for a screen Like it, it is inherently backlit It is inherently Like using light mm. To force the Colors through the vibrancy um, I've had an art show Where I like actually printed out my pieces And it was really great And I loved it but like There's still kind of this Deep down feeling where I'm like My art is is inherently digital. Mm. So being able to track it digitally and keep it in its um, native form was was really intriguing to me. So I just kind of kept an eye on it for the summer. And then when fall came around, I started watching Nifty Gateway um, come up. And then I got hit up by... Um, a few DJs hit me up with um, Tommy from Nifty Gateway on copy. And they're like, Hey, like, do you want to work together? And ultimately our kind of ideas didn't align, but then Tommy hit me up from Nifty Gateway and was like, Hey, do you want to have your own drop? And I just jumped at the idea and like made these two pieces that I'm like, actually like five pieces that I'm super proud of. Like some of my favorite art, Mm. And dropped those in early or late 2020 in November 2020. And the whole collection sold for under 10,000 USD. I think it was around like 7,500. And I was, I was still really excited. Like it was still cool. Like I was making money Mm -hmm. off digital art. And I guess like one thing that I'm really proud of that I did. And that I think is really important is like come out swinging, you know. Don't hold back. Like I really like made some stuff that I thought was my like very best work I'd ever made, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm dropping this. It's coming out. This is this is hot. This is fire. And like I'm making a statement with this. Mm -hmm. And like at the time, I think like people had a drop for like he sold a one hundred one for like sixty k the week before. And so it was just, like, in that bubbling, like, could this really pop off? Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I, I stepped with a, with a strong foot forward. And that was kind of, like, this really defining moment where I, I jumped in, like, fully committed to it. And I got involved in the discords and the Twitter and started building up my knowledge of the metaverse I, I kind of came at it without being a crypto person at all. Mm. And I still I'm more of a believer in the metaverse than like a um what's the word? Um pros, proselytizer for for cryptocurrency. I, I, I strongly believe in it, but I'm an art first person. I'm not a finance person. So like yeah. it's cool that crypto exists and it's cool that people are doing all these cool things with these currencies. But for me, I'm here for art and I'm here to create in a new space where there's room for innovation. And that was really what I saw was there's a bunch of artistic ideas that nobody's done here. yet. There's a bunch of things that I could do that literally nobody's ever done before. And so like just kind of the jump forward into the new year, I was the first artist to do uh, a burn mechanic where you had to actually collect pieces from my first drop in November, collect five of them, send them to me. I would destroy them, burn them. And then I would give you a unique one-to-one piece. And that kind of like started this whole movement of other artists, like creating stuff and burn mechanics. And Mm. it was really, it was really awesome. And like a cool moment as an artist to be like a spark to a, To a whole new paradigm of ideas and it's just it's really that's that's what like that's the high that we're all chasing like talking about like Akira earlier how like how many other ideas has that movie sparked you Mm -hmm. know getting to find yourself in a position in a metaverse where there's so many unexplored avenues it's just like really an amazing feeling to get to try these new things and you know, it's been going, like people have been doing this for like, well, three or four years now in total, but like only in like the real public consciousness for like a year. And there's still so many unexplored ideas out there. So it's, it's really interesting and so dynamic and there's still a million things that haven't been done. So it's just, it's like, it really gets me excited to just break new ground.
0: Yeah. It's, it's incredible to see, uh, That mechanic is so exciting. It's, it's, you could say gamification or participation in that there's events happening and there's progressions and involvement and community, which is all really interesting.
1: Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's interesting because like gamification is such an interesting word because it like, it like, I think it's like, it's like bigger than that and it's like more dynamic than that. Like, You know, like, it's kind of like how people have kind of, like, shrugged off gamers as a profession for so long. It's like,
0: Mm -hmm. oh, yeah,
1: gamers, you guys end your games. And it's like, well, no, we're actually, like, professionals. And we're actually, like, we have movements behind us. And we're, like, changing people's lives and people have careers. And so it's, like, it's really interesting how this, like, you know, kind of, like, unassuming, like, gamification can really be these, like, really crazy artistic movements and life-changing ideas so yeah it's it's cool and like you know if you're if you're skeptical of it maybe you aren't paying enough attention
0: <laughs> the paradigm is probably shifted three four times over and you didn't notice living in some Absolutely. other other world um yeah it's all very exciting um can you talk us through like a couple more uh, projects that you you followed up with
1: yeah, um, probably the most significant uh, in the NFT world would be my other project called Replicator, where it was a single NFT that I sold through Philips Auction House um, that with this crazy smart contract that I built with um, a company called Manifold, um, particularly with um, Richard and Wilkins, we, we designed this smart contract that would make the nft self-replicate every four week cycle Mm -hmm. so like there's the generation one replicates once a month for six months then it creates a gen two then the gen each gen two creates five gen threes each gen three creates four gen four so it's kind of this like cascading pyramid Mm. um almost like a uh um, an exponential growth of an NFT mm-hmm. but it's based on this idea of replicator um, of a photocopier so it can also jam so when one of the we have a random jam that can happen for each mm-hmm. generation with like a curve of the jam rate so there can be these jams and then those create sterile offspring so in if it was like unencumbered growth it would create around 2,000 unique or 2,000, not unique, but 2,000 um, NFTs. But instead with this jam rate, like over a million simulations, the average you get is about 220 total NFTs. So it's a really like interesting project. And Hmm. for me as an artist, it was really cool because it's conceptual and the idea and the mechanic kind of all come together. It's the idea of a photocopier. A photocopier creates copies, but it's also kind of a meditation on a piece of technology that when it came out, it was so groundbreaking. It was like, oh my God, a photocopier in the office, this is going to change everything. And like, we're (laughs) in this moment where people are like, oh my God, NFTs, they're so cool. They're so new. They're going to change everything. But if you look back at the photocopier, it went from like loved to like tolerated to hated to forgotten, you know? (laughs) So like, it's, it's kind of cool to take this moment to reflect on our relationship with other past groundbreaking technology and like each generation of replicator shows a different um time phase of the photocopier in its life so it's kind of like i'm showing the the lifespan of the photocopier in the art itself so it's a really high concept piece and that's just like one cool thing that one artist did with this technology and there's a a million other kind of cool ideas out there that that you can do so it's it's really exciting and and it was a thrill to get to work with manifold on that project because that was that was truly a team effort with their code i couldn't have done it without the amazing coders that i got to work with on that a real honor
0: I, i love how you're using the the fabric of the technology a smart contract and integrating that into the premise and concept of the piece itself That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, That was really the, the highlight of, of my career and, you know, or my NFT career rather. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really now kind of a challenge because you, you look at something you do and you're like, Oh man, that was, that was so bang on, you know, like
0: Mm. how do
1: I follow that up? So I keep trying to come up with new ideas and, you know, I'm not the kind of person to, um, rush my art. I really like to take my time with it. Mm -hmm. And, um, Last year in in another project I got to do, I got to design the race worn helmet for Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. um when he won Silverstone last year, which was just a total honor and was like definitely one of those out of body experiences just seeing your art on Lewis Hamilton like as he <laughs> stepped out of his car winning the uh, the Silverstone Grand Prix. That's so awesome. It's 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 been quite a year with a lot of really um really amazing high points that I'm
0: super proud of. What advice do you have to any artists who has yet to utilize NFT technology, who might be a bit skeptical or not really sure
1: what to do? Um, What would you have to say to them? Get involved in the community aspect of it. It's, It's really about getting to know other artists, getting to know collectors, it's, it's a world without the traditional gatekeeping mechanics of the fine art world where like all you have to do is like meet one art dealer and like one gallerist and then like you work with them then they go and sell your art to a bunch of you know suits and investors and then that's it Then you just like you sit in your bubble you create your own art but this is like a total inversion of that it's like especially if you're releasing like editions like you can have price stuff for just your everyday person that would like buy a print off you, Mm -hmm. or you could have all the way up to like big million dollar collectors. So, and they're, they're all kind of at your fingertips and it's all these kinds of like relationships you can build. Um, So like just discord, Twitter, um, and just kind of being involved in the, community is is really the the first thing that i think is most important and to kind of like find the temperature of like you know how to release when to release who to collaborate with what what platform works for you because there's a bunch of different ways to release stuff and there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of different places to do that and there's a bunch of different communities to get involved in and so you kind of just need to like you know jump in and make friends and form trusted relationships and you know really find find your your zone within the NFT community and i guess like the other thing that i always say to people that's like the most generic piece of advice but people people lose this one all the time is just be yourself like mm-hmm. really like you don't want to get caught up in a community that you have to pretend to be somebody else because it's just, it's going to drain you out anyways and your creativity won't get to thrive. So so there's so many different communities in the NFT world that like, don't rush into dropping your art. Don't feel this like, Oh my God, I need to do it now or it's never going to happen. Don't think about it that way. Think about it. Like I'm coming in here to find a community to find friends and to build something that is like real and tangible and you can't expect it to happen instantly. And like, don't get discouraged if you like drop something and it doesn't immediately blow up. And to my point earlier, like put your best foot forward. Like I think some people are like, Oh my God, this is like the best thing I've ever made. I got to like, I don't want to release this early because you know, I want to save this for like, once I already have like a bunch of like Hmm. followers or more hype, it's like, just keep making good art again. Just, just like, don't save it. Just make another cool thing. And like, that's, that's my attitude. And like, you know, I, I, and like, you know, I know this is like a lot of musicians. It's like, what's your favorite song? It's like the last one I made, Mm -hmm. you know? So just, just keep making stuff and you'll like that more. Um, so yeah, it's it's really just kind of like all the all the art cliches really fit. Just you know, be yourself, fail, and I think it's really important to actually release release art. Um, <clears throat> you know, even if it's not um, on the blockchain, even if you don't want to like, even if you're getting involved in the NFT world and you're not ready to mint yet, but keep putting stuff out there and keep hearing what people have to say. Like show it in the discords and like get a feel for you know, what community has what appetite for what, and, you know, find the community that responds to the art that you want to make. Don't make the art that you think the community wants that you don't want to make. That's a path to destruction.
0: (laughs) Authenticity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. So where can people find out more about you and see
1: more of your work? Um, I think the most cohesive gallery of my art is probably just my Instagram, which is mad.dog.jones. dot um, My Twitter, where you can find some of my musings and uh, memes and crypto updates, is uh, mad underscore dog underscore jones. And yeah, those are my main main social platforms. I also have a, a Discord server, Mad Dog Jones Global, mm-hmm. and. There is a lot of the kind of like, that's where you'll find the kind of the first to know kind of information on exactly what I'm doing and, and where everything's going down. So between those, between those spots, that's probably the best place to, uh, to find me. So in closing, I ask
0: every single Radical Strategies guest the same question, and that is, what is their radical strategy of the day? Or in other words, any closing thoughts for us?
1: Absolutely. Um, what is my radical strategy for the day? Create something and, and don't worry whether it's great or not. You know, just, just put the pen to paper, write a journal. Just don't, don't let the day get away from you completely and don't put any pressure on yourself. If you just sit down and draw a circle. And go like, look at that nice circle I drew. <laughs> that works and that's fine. Like, it doesn't people put so much pressure on themselves to be virtuoso and do all these crazy things instantly. Just just make something and, and just flex that creative muscle in your brain mm. every day. And if you don't have the time to to flex that creative muscle, even just taking a, a breath to yourself. And just thinking, like, "Hey, I'm I'm thinking about me and wanting to do better, and just taking just a second just to really center yourself and and think about your goals and use those creative muscles, because I think that's where the real real talent comes from is is repetition of your creative muscles, and if you keep using them, you'll." will keep creating cool stuff. And believe me, I I made a lot of really boring, lame art in my life. I've done a lot of stuff that isn't like really that cool,
0: mm-hmm. but I
1: just kind of kept at it. And that's that's probably the most radical thing you could do is is make art all the time. Because if we're talking about like the word radical too, like it's about changing the world and about like, you know, shaking the superstructures that exist and like There's nothing that, you know, corporate oligarchy, super capitalism fears more than a creative mind and just keep on changing the world and doing cool things.